if you love and practice lying, if this is the pattern of your life, then you're not in Christ and you will not be in heaven and your only hope is to turn in faith and repentance and ask God to give you a new heart. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello again, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part eight of The One Another's. Are you ever tempted to lie or maybe distort the truth in your interactions with others within the context of the church? Do they see the real you, or are you tempted to project a perfect image? Well, today Tom will examine the ways believers are often tempted to lie about themselves and to others. We'll look at four primary ways that believers are tempted to lie. To keep from offending others, to make others like us, to avoid conflict, and out of fear of the truth. Let's join Tom Pennington right now as we discover more of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. Lay aside, be renewed, and put on. You know what Paul is saying? I want you to stop lying. I want you to stop the falsehood, stop being deceitful, stop doing those things. Lay it aside. Make a determination to stop. Then I want you to be renewed in your thinking. That is, I want you to search out the Scripture and allow the Spirit of God through the Word of God to change your thinking about lying, to change your thinking about the truth, and to give you a fresh resolve and desire to pursue it. And then I want you to pursue the path of obedience. I want you to speak the truth. Be speaking the truth. Listen, folks, this is where our part of sanctification comes in. We have to pursue the path of obedience. And as we try to obey, as you and I determine to try to tell the truth, and when we catch ourselves in the midst of a lie, we stop ourselves and correct immediately with that person. No, that's not entirely right. Let me, let me tell you this. As we seek to obey, God does something that we can never do, and that is he changes us at the most basic level. We can't change our hearts, but we can seek to obey God in the strength of his spirit, and as we demonstrate that effort and that willingness to change, God changes us. The best way to kill lying is by becoming known for telling the truth. Where do you start? Well, you start by confessing and forsaking the sin of lying. It's a serious thing, as we'll see in a moment. It's not a little thing. We can laugh about some of those things in the list I read earlier on, but it's not a light thing to God. Confess and forsake the sin of lying, but don't stop there. Secondly, confess and forsake the sins of the heart that are behind that lie. You see, when we lie, that's an external action, really. There's some sin of the heart that led us to that lie. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but let me just give you a couple of examples. Why did Abraham lie about Sarah, his wife? Because he was afraid. He was afraid of what might happen to him if he told the truth. He might end up getting killed. And sometimes when we lie, it's out of fear of what might happen the consequences of telling the truth. What about Ananias and Sapphira? 
in Acts chapter 5. Why did they lie about that piece of land and the full price? Because they wanted to look good. They wanted everybody to think that they were actually bringing the entire proceeds of the land and laying it at the apostles' feet. And so they lied. They lied simply because their pride wanted them to look good. Sometimes we do the same thing. We lie. We make up stories about ourselves and how great we once were to make ourselves look good. So we can't just deal with the fruit of lying. We must deal with the root, which is the sin of the heart that led us down the path to lie. And thirdly, we must determine before God and with his help not to deny or contradict the truth in the future. We must choose to get on the path of obedience. That's how you start to deal with the sin of lying and telling the truth. We must all become known as truth tellers. Now, let me give you a couple of warnings. You see, when some people hear that you need to tell the truth, they take that and they warp it a little bit. Let me give you several warnings about telling the truth, what this doesn't mean. Speaking the truth, number one, is no excuse for brutal and brash communication. Absolutely no excuse for using words like a sledgehammer to beat other people up. Yesterday, my daughter brought a cartoon into my office while I was studying. It was of a wife asking her husband the question that every husband dreads. Honey, does this dress make me look fat? Well, in the cartoon, the second frame, the man responds, and I don't suggest that you try this at home, men. His response was, no, your fat makes you look fat. The last frame in the cartoon shows the man bloodied and near death, and the little balloon coming out of his mouth is so much for candor. That's not what we're talking about. The Bible tells us we are to speak the truth in what? Love, Ephesians 4.15. So it's not a license to use brutal and brash communication. Let me give you a second warning about telling the truth. Telling the truth does not require you to break or a confidence or reveal legitimate secrets. Number three, it does not demand, and this was a key one, that we dump all our bad attitudes and hatreds on those whom we, we dislike. You know, we have all this stuff inside us. Well, I'm just going to be honest. Let me tell you what I think about you, buddy. I'm just being honest. The Bible told me to be honest. We should instead confess our wrong attitudes and seek to put them off. That's not honesty. That's a pseudo-honesty. It's actually hatred. And warning number four, while we are readily to admit that we sin, truthfulness does not require us to broadcast detailed accounts of our sin to those who don't know about the sin and are not part of the solution. You only need to reveal the sin to those against whom you've sinned, seeking their forgiveness, or those who can genuinely be part of the solution. Again, not the fact that you sin, but the details of the sin. Now, notice this command is for all of us. It's for every professing believer. Back in verse 25, he says, Speak truth, each one of you. In context, of course, this is referring to every believer receiving Paul's letter. And if you go back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1, he wrote, to all the saints in Ephesus. So none of us are exempt from this, folks. If you profess to be a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. And then the next phrase, with his neighbor, 
defines the limits of our responsibility. We're only to speak the truth with our neighbor. Well, who's our neighbor? Jesus defined our neighbor as everybody we come in contact with. So in other words, God demands that every believer's interaction with every person he, and he or she encounters be without falsehood and be characterized by the truth. Why? Well, in context, Paul only gives us one argument for always telling the truth. Notice the end of the verse. We are members of one another. He relies on that image that he loves of the church as a body and like a body has many members, he says, listen, we're all members of the same body. How can, how can one member of the body lie to another member of the body? Not only is lying a violation of God's law, but it causes trouble and friction and conflict in the body. Chrysostom, the first able expositor of the word back in the early church, says, said this, if the eye sees a serpent... Does it deceive the foot? If the tongue tastes what is bitter, does it deceive the stomach? A part of our body doesn't ordinarily deceive the rest of our body. But there are other compelling biblical arguments for rejecting all forms of lying. Not only that we're members of one another, but let me give you briefly five biblical arguments against lying. It's very important that you understand this because it's so much a part of our culture. It's accepted happens all around us, and we are easily sucked into it. Five more biblical arguments against lying of all forms and the necessity of embracing the truth. Argument number one, God commands against lying. God commands against lying. We see that here in Ephesians 4. Speak the truth. Lay aside falsehood. You see it also in Leviticus 19.11 number of other places, Leviticus 19.11, you shall not deal falsely nor lie to one another. Over in the parallel passage in Colossians chapter 3, Paul puts it in the negative. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So we're not to lie because God commands that we not lie. Argument number two, and this one is quite interesting. God especially hates the sin. God especially hates it. You see, there's one sense in which all sin is equally repugnant to God. I mean, God can't look on any sin with joy. He must deal with it. But there are sins, the Bible tells us, that rise above other sins in God's hatred. And this is one of them. Let me show you a couple of passages. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Now, the writer didn't just mess up and write the word six and then wish he'd wrote the word seven. This is a Hebrew way of saying this isn't an all-inclusive list. Here are some things, but there are other things that could be added to this list as well. But let me give you seven things that God absolutely hates that are an abomination. There is no more profound biblical word to express abhorrence and hatred than that word. God abominates these sins. Look at it, verse 17. Haughty eyes, that is, human pride, a lying tongue is the second sin 
The writer of Proverbs, Solomon in this case, comes back to this again. Notice he writes, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil. Verse 19, a false witness who utters lies. And then finally, one who spreads strife among brothers. Listen, you want to make God mad? Then lie. It's one of the sins that God especially hates. Over in chapter 12 of Proverbs, verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal faithfully are his delight. Notice the contrast. You have, on the one hand, those who lie, and they are abhorrent to God. No stronger word. On the other end of the spectrum, you have those who deal faithfully, that is, those who are truthful in their communication, and God finds delight in them. It's impossible to describe two greater poles than that. Abhorrent, abomination, and delight. A third argument against lying is not only that God hates it, but the righteous hate it. Throughout the scripture, we learn that those who are truly righteous people hate this sin. Let me give you a couple of examples. In Psalm 101, Psalm 101, David is describing, humanly speaking, his integrity, the integrity of his heart before the Lord, the fact that he was what he appeared to be. And as he lists that integrity and the elements of it, listen to one of the elements he includes in verse 7. David says, he who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. In other words, I'm not going to befriend and coddle and take care of a deceiver. And he who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. David said, there's nobody around me going to be known for lying. It's not going to happen. I hate it. In Proverbs 13, 5, we read, a righteous man hates falsehood. If you are righteous, if God has changed you, then you have a hatred for this sin. Argument number four, liars will be found out and punished. Look at Proverbs 12. Proverbs 12 and verse 19. Proverbs says, truthful lips will be established forever. Lips that speak the truth. The person who has truthful lips will be established forever. There's stability. There's endurance. But a lying tongue is only for a moment. Now, I think there are two points the proverb is making. I think one of them is that the person who doesn't lie can rest at night and can live in stability because there's nothing to be uncovered, whereas the person who lives in a lie has to always be concerned that that's going to come out and that it's going to last, his secret's only going to last for a moment. But I think there's also the implication of eternity as well. Look at Proverbs 19, verse 5. Proverbs 19, verse 5 makes the same point. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who tells lies will not escape. Usually in this life, a person who makes a habit of lying is found out. But if not in this life, certainly no liars will scoot past God's throne of justice. No one will deceive God. No one will scoot past that 
encounter. And so all liars will be found out and punished. The fifth argument, and I think the most chilling, the most profound, is there will be no liars in heaven. There'll be no liars in heaven. Good Revelation 21. I can't turn to these chapters and these passages without remembering that it was these very verses that God used to bring me to faith in Jesus Christ. It's probably the first time I ever heard a, a true expository sermon. And a visiting pastor was in our little country church, and he was, he was speaking to Christians. There was a small group of Christians gathered there that night. My dad was the music director, and so I had to be there. And he was encouraging Christians, and it was a very encouraging message for them. But for one young man, it wasn't. I was 18 years old. I'd made a couple of professions of faith. I'd been baptized a couple of times, told everybody I was a Christian. And these verses just absolutely opened my heart and exposed me before God. Showed me what I was and that I had no hope of heaven. Revelation 21, verse 8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters. What a terrible list. And watch this. And all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Verse 27 of the same chapter, speaking about the heavenly Jerusalem. Nothing unclean, and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Verse 15 of chapter 22 Outside, outside of all that's blessed, outside of heaven, outside of eternity with God, outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters, and watch this, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Whatever your profession may be, if you love and practice lying, if this is the pattern of your life, then you're not in Christ, and you will not be in heaven, and your only hope is to turn in faith and repentance and ask God to give you a new heart. Because your part, apart from the work of God's grace, as Revelation 21 says, your part will be in the lake which burns with fire forever. Those are the reasons we must not cater to lying. So let's ask this question. When are we most tempted to lie or distort the truth in our interactions with each other in the context of the church? I jotted down four reasons that I think we often are tempted. Number one, perhaps the most common, to keep from offending others. To keep from offending others. This has a lot of different ways it shows itself. Sometimes we fail to confront sin in others because we don't want to offend them. We tell people what we think they want to hear rather than the truth because we're afraid the truth, even spoken in love, will be offensive. Another reason that we lie in the church, I think, a second reason, is to make others like us. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. That's a common human thing. I mean, it would be something wrong with you if you wanted people to dislike you. The problem is, what are you willing to do to accomplish that? If you're willing to sin to accomplish that, it's a problem. It's wrong. It's become an idol. 
And sometimes we do this. We flatter people or we use our mouths in other ways to distort the truth in order to win the affections of people. A third reason we're tempted to lie in the church is to avoid conflict. It's to avoid conflict. Here's how it happens. You know, several people, several Christian people are together discussing an issue, perhaps informally, perhaps in a meeting, various contexts. One or two speak out and they tell what they would like to see done. The others in the group, standing out in the foyer talking, all shake their heads and nod affirmingly. Yes, that sounds like a good idea. But of course they say nothing. And then they leave and they tell their friends about how much they disagree. All the time they're nodding their heads in the affirmative. Now why didn't those Christians speak up? Because they didn't want to cause conflict. They didn't want to create potential disagreement. So instead they were tempted to dishonesty. If you find yourself doing that, it may very well be dishonesty. Now, there's a fourth reason I think we are tempted to lie in the church, and that is out of fear. We just don't know how other people are going to respond to the truth, and so we shade it a little bit. We tilt it a little bit. We cannot do these things. We must lay aside all forms of falsehood and be speaking the truth with one another. Yes, in love. We must not allow the mindset of the culture in which we live to push us into its mold. If you're tempted to lie or to deceive, to keep from offending others, to make others like you, to avoid conflict or out of fear, recognize that that is a clear violation of the command of our Lord. Listen, folks, our speech should be gracious and courteous and polite, but it must always be the truth spoken in love. Paul says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. You want some good news? Here's the good news. Our God never lies because he is the truth. Numbers 23, verse 19, God is not a man that he should lie. Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Titus 1, 2 we have the hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. Hebrews 6.18, it is impossible for God to lie. And of course, our Lord said of himself in John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Here's the good news and the great encouragement. God has always told you exactly what he thinks. You can pick up his word and know that if he's made you a promise, that promise will never change. God thinks about you exactly as he said he does in his word. That means if you're in Christ, he has set his love upon you. He has forgiven you. He has justified you. You will always be in the presence of our God in this life. And death is not the end. It's not final. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we will live with him forever. And he will spend eternity lavishing us with his grace. He will forever and has forever accepted us if we're in Christ. I love the quote from Charles Spurgeon. I came across it in college and it has remained, I think, my favorite quote throughout the years. In a message called, When I See the Blood, based on the Passover, When I See the Blood, I Will Pass Over You, he says this. Listen carefully. Here's our hope. God cannot 
And here we speak with reverence to the everlasting God cannot reject a sinner who pleads the blood of Christ. For if he did so, it were to deny himself. He never can revoke that divine acceptance of the resurrection. And if you go to God, my hearer, pleading simply and only the blood of him that did hang upon the tree, God must un-God himself before he can reject you or reject that sacrifice. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part eight of his current series, The One and Others. Tom will have part nine for you on our next broadcast. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.